When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The starting point for me growing up, abandoning my music dreams in my early 20s, literally, I ditched every piece of equipment I owned in two pawn shops in Silver Spring, Maryland. I was living in a band house getting through college. And I go, man, I got to go move myself to Philadelphia and live with what was then my girlfriend, soon to be my wife. So I sold about $15,000 worth of equipment at the time. I think I sold it for a few thousand, candidly. I packed the little furniture and clothing I had and moved up to Philly. And my wife was then a social worker in North Philadelphia, which was quite an occupational hazard, even for someone that she was in her mid-20s. And so that was the starting point. And it, we happened to have lived, and I personally moved into my in-law's house for a few months to save. And while I was doing that, I planted my career at Bell Atlantic, which became ultimately Verizon through mergers. And I became the top salesperson nationwide because... My wife allowed me to have that career by, hey, here's a hundred bucks for your gas every week because you're commuting a hundred miles a week at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a hundred miles a day. I should say 500 miles a week at the time. Pretty heavy lift to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today, rising from a hotel where he is a speaker at a conference, is Robbie Phoenix. Robbie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you. you. It sounds like you've had a hectic day, but you wanted to get here and talk a little music and talk about a little about your journey. So thank you so much. Let's start out. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Basically, I hatched and was born out of the ashes of poverty. I started my career with my wife paying for my turnpike tolls and gas in a, a humble social worker job. She was making about $15 an hour back when. And I became, by the people around me, the top salesperson nationwide at Verizon Business. Then I moved over into engineering, got promoted to the top rank there. I am known, and I'm known within the industry as a competitive intelligence expert. And that was the third functional track I served at Verizon as a Fortune 100 company. I led that intelligence unit to grow over $100 million. And then I was recruited by another Fortune 100 out of Broomfield, Colorado, through their senior leadership team to another 120 million plus. So my tagline is, I came from a tech background with $254 million of direct contribution. And then I moved over into the music industry and I, in my first sync deal, had 30 million song plays and worked with Live Nation and Sony. Oh, <laughs> nice. So are you the one we talked to about dynamic pricing? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. You, in fact, I'm known to be a pricing expert in the tech field. So yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right now that's a, that's a sore spot with some Bruce fans. Chris, what I've said is Bruce hasn't toured in seven years. He has, we've gone through a pandemic. There's been a lot of things going on. And I think some people that I've said that they would only be happy if they get to go to the shows they want in the section they want, paying the money they want. And unfortunately, demand is higher than supply at some venues. Right. It just really is. And there's a lot of quantitative stuff going on behind the scenes to figure out how to optimize that revenue model. I'm not going to get into the ethics of it because I'm not Live Nation or AEG or Ticketmaster. I'm not a yeah. ticket broker. What I can say is corporations are always consumed around. They had this whole old model when I was in my MBA class about in-service seating models for Aramark Corporation. If the line in the concession at halftime at a football game can't serve everyone anyhow, maybe we optimize within service seating and we bring more revenue per headcount on average into that stadium. It's no different in the music industry. Certainly the effects of COVID had a rather negative sharp impact on operating margin, EBITDA, any way you want to look at that bottom line and express that in a ratio. And my heart goes out to those companies because they had their average attendees, like 40,000 people and up in those stadiums that they generally participate in. And you got to really wonder how, what's the upsides for them and their payback after losing a year plus worth of business. You're probably looking at another three to five years out for them to really get there. And so you get the accounts in the middle, right? And you get the pricing modelers and you get a whole bunch of people and they're going, how do we optimize price in a way that actually isn't entirely gouging the end user, hopefully? And by the same token, how do we also provide some level of enhanced experience where the hopefully the scalpers won't be injecting themselves in the middle of that and basically pirating the same ticket that StubHub wants to sell you, not to pick on StubHub. <laughs> no, I do. And we're going to get to music in a minute, listeners. But I do, I remember several years ago, my brother-in-law, my son and I were all at a Texas Rangers baseball game. Sweet. And and it it started raining and like almost at the beginning of play. So we're all sitting there and we started debating, like, what does it cost before they sell one hot dog that you've got all the ushers, you have all the people working the gate, you have all the, the concession stands, everyone is there getting ready for 25, 30,000, whatever. They know how many tickets they sell. I'm sure they have models that tell them we're going to get X percentage of walk-ups. So therefore, it's a smaller crowd. Maybe we don't open all the concession stands. Maybe we do it, right? And then when it rains, all of a sudden, oh, wow. you're like, and so we're like, what is that? <laughs> like, how much just and that base cost of every throw? So it just made me think of it. And the same thing for concession stands. I've heard the guys on uh, Your Band Sucks talks about venues are really not in the music business. They're in the selling beer and hot dog business, right? That Correct. that a stadium truly makes their money, yes, when Bruce or 
Pink or Taylor Swift comes, but sure. a lot of their revenue comes from the concession stands and this yeah. other stuff. Yeah, Marketing. what you're referring to are two basic block and tackle rules in an NBA class. One is your fixed cost. So, yeah. you know, your stadium's got to be there. Your parking lot security is going to be a fixed cost because it's a constant. Even right. if it's event by event, there's a certain line every year on average you're going to hit for the security attache. You can have some level of staffing. And it so happens my wife and I, we used to volunteer at Bronco Stadium nearby where I live. Yeah. And so we got to look in the looking glass, peering in going, there are a lot of volunteers in this deal, but there are also a lot of concessionaires that aren't volunteers. Yes. Control the cash, control the credit transactions, and even the franchise staff, whether it be Live Nation, AEG, or in the case of professional sports, the NFL staff, et cetera. Yeah. And it's a serious thing. So those are your fixed costs. They're known. They're relatively constant. Then you've got your variable costs. So the event's going to need maybe an event team outside to proactively market and direct traffic. There may be special enhanced security for certain events like a Taylor Swift event. You better believe that it's going to be over a crowd control. There are going to be multiple ambulance lanes with probably a helicopter transport on call by, standby for call. So these are real things. And when you get to fixed costs and those variable costs, then you go into, okay, so now what? What's the fill rate for us to break even versus us making a dime off this event? And when you get inclement weather in there, you got to plan on the higher end, the upper bound, as they say in statistics, of your profit maximization model to hope that on average you'll make out well still. And that's the mess that people get into. And they get a little overly greedy. I'll tell yeah. you, like the franchises... They take huge cuts of the revenue to pay their players $40 million a year. Or to some extent, and not picking on the artist, because I've been an artist and I know on the inside, if you think about the deal, right? You got management costs of about minimum 15%. And you probably, if you're Taylor Swift or Bruce Springsteen, you have multiple management. You've got your MBA management that's your bookkeeper. You've got your financial advisor and tax attorney. You've got intellectual property attorney, which is typically separate. And then you've got your tour manager and your operational staff that's all fixed for you. And you're looking at netting for you and your bandmates a very low percentage of that overall gross money that they shove out to you every concert. Like Foo Fighters, I read once on Polestar, they gross nearly $2 million a show. But when you start netting all this stuff off, they're making maybe a couple hundred thousand per artist at most. Yeah, they're a five person band, or at least they used to be. So, right. Yeah. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It is, it is good to remember it is a music business, but as Bruce said, but they do call it playing music. So there is that (laughs) dichotomy. All right, Robbie. So let's go back. You said you rose out of the ashes of poverty. I was a, the child of a career military guy. So I know what it was like to, at times, be very tight with money. My grandparents owned the dairy farm, which was never lucrative. But so I feel you. But let's talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? Sure. The starting point for me growing up, abandoning my music dreams in my early 20s, literally, I ditched every piece of equipment I owned. In two pawn shops in Silver Spring, Maryland, I was living in a band house getting through college. And I go, man, I got to go move myself to Philadelphia and live with what was then my girlfriend, soon to be my wife. So I sold about $15,000 worth of equipment at the time. I think I sold it for a few thousand, candidly. Yeah. (laughs) I packed a little furniture and clothing I had and moved up to Philly. And my wife was then a social worker in North Philadelphia which was quite an occupational hazard, even for someone that she was in her mid-20s. Oh, yeah, sure. And so that was the starting point. And we happened to have lived, and I personally moved into my in-law's house for a few months to save. And while I was doing that, I planted my career at Bell Atlantic, which became ultimately Verizon through mergers. And I became the top salesperson nationwide because my wife allowed me to have that career by, hey, here's 100 bucks for your gas every week. Because you're commuting 100 miles a week at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's actually 100 miles a day. I should say 500 miles a week at the time. So it was a pretty heavy lift to get started. Yeah. So, Robbie, you talked about that. You jumped ahead. But had you had all that music instrument. So when you were younger, did music speak to you? Were your parents push your musical interest? Did you learn the guitar? What? Talk to me a little bit about before you abandoned the dream, when you thought sure. you were going to be the next fill in the blank, right? Yeah, totally. Who, who doesn't want to be, right? Seeing that video dancing in the dark in my grandfather's living room, I'll never, ever forget Courtney Cox dancing with Bruce in that video. It's sealed in so many people's minds that I've spoken with since. Going back, though, and rewinding to your question, the first time I was really associating music in any way happened to be under severe duress. Okay. So my father was a senior economist. He worked in a global organization that required his travel to leave town frequently. And so for that obligation he had, and him being the primary income earner, that would leave my older brother, myself, and my mother to commune and be around each other for long periods of time while he was away. And it so happens one evening, I remember I was about six. We were living in a house in Rockville, Maryland at the time right off Vista Drive, in fact, 13909 Vista Drive. And I remember like my mother happened to be in a nightie that night in the kitchen. 
and she was taking a china plate and literally ragefully throwing it against the wall in the kitchen, which was completely abnormal behavior for her. And I learned over time, I discerned and became aware that she had an, in fact, acute medical condition called schizophrenia. And so that particular evening, while she was raging on the china a little, and I was just transfixed, wondering why mom was upset at that age. I remember waking up the next morning and she peeled me off the Hollywood couch she had made. It was in our carport right by the kitchen where it opens up to the carport, that little part of the house. And she peeled me off the couch, threw me in the back of her warming up Mustang. It was a very beat up old, late model, late 60s model Mustang at the time. And she literally said, hey, we're out of here. The CIA, they're coming to get us. And we used to take these long drives. And this wasn't the first time. This is just the first time I remember being in the back of the car and hearing like Casey Kasem's top 100 hits. <laughs> and then hearing like the broadcast on radio of solid gold and all that kind of stuff. Because my mom would turn on the FM radio while we were driving these long drives between Rockville and Michigan. So that's how I became attached to music initially was, was under duress. And it was an outlet for me to go, there's something about the power of music to stabilize the soul and to center things back to reality. Like it was very difficult. I still have separation anxiety to this day, but I manage it differently because of music. So that was my exposure to Rick Springfield and Kansas and Journey. And what ultimately, when she was flipping radio dials away from Casey Kasem, was a little bit of an occasional Led Zeppelin or Rush song or ACDC. My second exposure was with my elder brother, who was an accomplished guitarist for many years. And he used to literally drop the needle to learn these parts that were very intricate, like Eddie Van Halen's Cathedral or Randy Rhodes. Pick any song you want out of the hat. Crazy Train, for example, that's solo. He would literally learn it note for note and spend thousands of hours in his room. So if you go in his room, it's ACDC, Judas Priest, of course, every Led Zeppelin album, the police synchronicity. And so that was my second level of exposure was, hey, it's, it doesn't have to be necessarily an anxiety outlet. And experience, it can also be a sport where you're learning an instrument. So that's where I picked up a lot of the music later on in life in my teens. That led to my brother and I playing in a band for five, six years. And then I went off and started my own solo project for about two years until the story picks up where I last left yeah. off. Do Have you gone back and played with music since yeah. after? Because I do, yeah. I Robbie, I never, I think there's a font. There's always that line. If we're watching the movie at the movie theater, there's that he never gave up his dream. She never gave up his dream. And then there's the reality of maybe you should give up your dream because you got bills to pay and, right, you, right. and, and take that energy you're doing and move another way. So you've shared by a lot of hard work, a lot of determination, you've built a successful career and then you reset it up and did a second career. And now I guess you're on a third or fourth, but did you go back to music ever just as either in a recreational way or as a kind of a hobby? This is the deal. Like, I don't think, and I don't say for anyone in your listening audience that they should stop or drop their passions, but it is occasionally a necessity to transform oneself. And what was ironic in all that learning over 20 plus years now is while I liquidated and sold a lot of equipment, 
And I quit even in point of fact, quit playing for 10 to 15 years altogether, raising a family and going through all the corporate learning along the way and all the promotions. There was something about leveraging creativity inside of a boring, inculcated corporate culture that resonated with me personally to where I was learning how to design and execute campaigns. Like literally while I'm an engineer sitting in Philadelphia for Verizon once upon a time, I was starting to ask myself these questions people in engineering worlds never ask themselves. It's like, why is AT&T killing us in our own backyard to sell retail services right here where we can't even sell a retail against them, where they're at a franchise. It's not even their own backyard. They're leveraging our loops. They're renting our network to sell a service and undercutting us. Another question I was asking is when you look at all the bills to the end customers and circuit IDs and billing codes, I had a top sales background a couple of years before, as I mentioned earlier, I was a top salesperson nationwide at Verizon for a period of years. And I started asking, what about the relationship between the ordering codes, the circuit IDs, and how we price to sell to win? And that creativity also led to an incredible result with the field sales team I was assigned in Philly as an engineer, mind you. And I was working with three field sales managers. So it was Philadelphia, Newark, and Pittsburgh. And we all rallied together to do a campaign based on all these concepts that I was working separately with the campaign management team and marketing that led to taking the Philadelphia team results from about 42% in April that year I was assigned to work in Philadelphia to over 160% by end of year. So I'll tell you this, that was the first time I ever really connected in my mind, leveraging my creativity that I'd been doing in my music for so long and that I loved and was a passion into a corporate job, which most people would say is boring. You're getting a haircut and getting a real job. You're wearing badges. You, here's a badge, by the way, from the conference I was at earlier today. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you got to fit in, right? You got to wear the sport coat, Brooks Brothers, whatever that is. And I'm going, Shh, I don't know. There's something about doing things differently and leveraging that creativity for your competitive advantage. And that led to greater things, ultimately a quarter billion dollars direct contribution to two Fortune 100 companies. And to your question, how did I come back to the music? So... I was starting to moonlight in my last corporate position and going to Burbank to cut music at Scott Weiland's studio. It was called Lavish Studio at Burbank. And it was so, you walk into the studio and it's like Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses drum set right on the freaking riser, right? The whole set. And then right next to it, set aside is Jason Bonham's drum set from the Led Zeppelin experience. He's J John Bonham's son from Led Zeppelin for heaven's sake. Mm. And then you realize this studio has all this history. And it's not only that, it's Stone Temple Pilots. Scott Weiland was the lead vocalist in Velvet Revolver. And so I just got to realizing that there was a passion still in me on the music side. So I was moonlighting over a few years, cut a couple of music videos and some independent work with a band. And then while I was moonlighting that, I was ramping up my own band, an independent effort that was going to be more Denver-based. We went and synced our first film deal with an independent filmmaker out of New York. It earned 30 million song plays on Amazon Prime Video. And then on top of that, we had a submission for daytime Emmy consideration that led to another opportunity, which was to work with Live Nation and Sony. Live Nation on the filming side on top of Mandalay Bay at the exclusive foundation room in Las Vegas. And then separately, we had another distribution deal through 
Curtain Call Records to distribute globally on digital platforms through Sony The Orchard. So that's really my journey. Like it, it started off in music and passion. It shored up into, boy, I got to repurpose for a while and figure out what my obligations are and serve them humbly before God and serve them as best that I could. And then later on came the playground again. So I moved to Denver area with a guitar and no amp and an inflatable bed to work for that second corporate job. And over a period of a few years, I'm collecting equipment and I have friends teaching me how to shop and value shop. And the next thing you know, I've got a big ass studio and I've got all this film content and I've been leveraging all these deals. So I finally, three years ago said, I don't need a corporate job anymore. Once you put a bin about a quarter billion dollars, you scratch your head and go, why am I slaving away for, and this is just the way that I chose to work. It wasn't that the companies required it, yeah. but I really always wanted to do my best. Why am I going in there for 16 to 18 hour days on average when I could be doing for myself and spending a fraction of that time in the stuff that I labor over and spend a little more time over the things that I have a passion and enjoy. And that happens to be music for me as an artist. I've never thought about this till you were sharing your story is I got into the call center business right in the late 80s and I worked my way through management and I, I ended up being really good at listening, hearing what the client or the member needed, helping them resolve their problems. I always said, I think a lot of reason people get into call centers is subconsciously they like fixing things. And then a call center, someone calls with a problem, you fix it, you send them on their way. And I ended up being really good at interviewing, that finding team members. And so 2011, 2012, I started podcasting and I've taken everything I've done in business as far as really paying attention to what someone says asking leading questions, getting them to tell stories has developed into this, what I do for a hobby, what I do for joy. And I've never connected those before. So thank you for that. I, that's, I learned something this time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Talk to me a little bit about what kind of, what kind of music are you making? Talk to me about the gigs. Sure. So the music that I'm now wrapped around is Seattle sound. Okay. So like the 2000s, like heavy rock to progressive rock mashed up with like catchy stuff. So like Lincoln Park meets, I don't know, Stone Temple Pilots, something like yeah. that. Guitar driven, very catchy, very progressive modern sound in terms of its production value and profile. And then we mash it together with film narrative quality work in our video production. So what I did a little differently again to being able to sync deals with independent filmmakers and eventually work with Live Nation was I wasn't going to like a skeleton crew and going into DaVinci Resolve or some other software program to do post-production sizzle to make it look cool or something. I wanted it to look organically cool because of the scenes we chose and the film crew and the formatting we were using. So if you could think of like old school movies like Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Zhivago my aesthetic was gunning for that inside of a rock genre because no one was doing it. Yeah, you get Chris Cornell or Pearl Jam out or Jim Morrison out in a desert scene and it'd be cool with the dunes, but it wasn't really narrative work. And that's the treatment I chose to begin the brand of Sonic Octane that is my band. And mm -hmm. ultimately, we went from there 
I think there's a lot of learning in that too, working with others. Like I learned a tremendous amount working with independent film crews out of film school, for example, with a film festival production company on multiple rounds with sound and lighting, because that's a wholly different treatment than playing live. And so when I play live, to tell you my backline looks radically different than a music video. Yeah. When you're touring, that's one live, right? Because you need stable gear whose caps and tubes aren't going to bounce around in a bus, in the undercarriage of a bus. Whereas if it's a venue that's local to your hometown, you can bring just about anything because you have an SUV typically to haul that stuff. So I keep all kinds of American, German, and Russian-made gear in my studio. They're all hand-selected. So Hughes and Kettner, Demeter, Mesa Boogie, Marshall, Marshall's United Kingdom. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I use just depending on what I'm doing and where I'm at. If, if someone wants to, and I want to talk a little bit more about the dual, you're doing a little bit of both, right? You're still... You're speaking, you're coaching, you're helping, and you're making music. If someone wants to hear some of the music, where do they go? Ah, the first thing I'm going to pitch and propose is you text me. So let me say why I'm even asking that really briefly. There are people out there in corporate America right now or in businesses, even if they're not publicly traded huge, massive companies that are probably walled in a little. We're in the middle of a recession, arguably. Inflation's a little high, let's say it nicely. Yeah. And people are a little concerned out there for their jobs, right? It's right. like here, even in the conference today, I could feel it literally around everyone. And they're all trying to figure out, like, how far do I push the envelope to create something unique in my company? Or do I just sit tight and keep my head down? And here's what I'm going to propose to your audience is don't duck. Don't drink the Kool-Aid like everyone else and play it safe and stay between the lines like a highway because i literally pushed my career ahead by leveraging that creative advantage for a bona fide competitive advantage and for that i'm here for coaching i'm here for keynote speaking and i'm here to help you succeed and i've lived it as a living authority to give you that insight and to give you that coaching and that that support so if you'd like to reach out to me firstly text 33777 and just type in the word Robbie. And as you text that number, you'll get another message that pops up asking for your preferred email address. And I'll send you a freebie as your first step just to join into what I'm calling my Robbie Phoenix flock. <laughs> so <laughs> that's three three seven seven seven. Type Robbie, and then you'll give your email address, and then you've got something a little bit we could join the flock. Correct. And ah, I love that. Yeah, you get a, like a free download. So it's going to give you like the step version of, and this is like the cliff notes, right? Because I have a much sure. deeper dive that immerses in, in accelerated courses. But this gives you the framework. Look, if you want to compete to win in any industry, there's certain elements you have to care for. You've got to know your marketplace. You've got to know yourself as a business intimately well. You've got to know your competition. And these are the elements that are in that free download. Now, if you wanted to dive a little deeper, you can hire me to keynote speak, which I've done for 15 years, by the way, or you can hire me for individual coaching, either direct from yourself, if you're so inclined or through your employer, we can make yeah. an arrangement either way. Now to hire Robbie Phoenix, the guitarist and artist, that's a whole nother matter, but I'll just say that the same agency books me either way. Yeah. So if you need like a pull through like rock band for performance, or you're just looking for 
a DJ with backline support for your conference, that's all available as well. Very nice. So who are you listening to now? Who are favorite musicians now? Honestly, Shinedowns, I'm pretty big on. I feel like Corn has come a long way. Like they've really kept it together despite addiction issues and personnel changes. I personally don't drink, smoke, or do any drugs. I have zero tattoos. I'm not Johnny Depp. I'm like the opposite of that, although I have great respect for his acting. He plays guitar well. He hangs with the top people in the world. All I'm saying is my approach is a little different than many in my genre. And uh, so I listen to those types of artists that are a little cleaner, a little more. Okay. I also am a very big fan of Royal Bliss out of Salt Lake City. We used to tour with them. So we love those guys. Nice. What's next for you? What are you wanting to do next? What's the next step? In, what's the next chapter for Robbie Phoenix? Well, I have to say I'm very blessed because the last month I just started getting back into interviewing. And it's the first time I've ever interviewed on podcasts, like in the last four weeks. So I'm proud to say humbly that in the last four weeks of consecutive podcast interviews, that I'm now ranked in the global leaderboard for podmatch.com. I'm ranked 21st out of over 2,000 guests. And it's unbelievable that they call that the top 10% of the top 1% of their entire pool of people that can interview on these podcasts. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like there's a certain runway that's already hit and I'm doing really well there. And I'm very grateful to, to hosts like yourself and your audience. I think the next step for me is to get into keynote speaking heavily and leverage my years of being involved in the Global Innovation Leadership Summit, involved in the Strategic Competitive Intelligence Professionals International Organization, and a few others, and now just push it forward for Robbie Phoenix and come forward, as I say, out of my type of closet and really shine for corporate audiences to really share the learning I've had along the way and how to compete to win as a industry known competitive expert and all the same time give them some entertainment value because i'm not the typical dude that shows up with this badge and right. the clothing they wear at these conferences drives me nuts it's like be yourself don't worry about all these people that want to look professional and they've got mbas or they shop at brooks brother all day so tell me i'm sure you've got a couple but give me a give me a fun story of running into some of these when you're trying to make your fit in I remember once I was at a conference and my, we were, it was right before the conference was going to start. My wife and I were sharing a room with another couple and they had made a point of you should not do certain things in the restroom. You should go to the lobby's restroom if you need to take care of business. All right. And so I got up, I had my little slippers on. And I went down and all of a sudden I realized, holy crap, there's all kinds of people in this lobby. So I'm trying to keep my head down, trying to wait to the public restroom. Oh and God. that next day when I'm presenting, I told that story. I was like, just to let you know that this is, I, the conference had to come up from there. So give me, <laughs> I'm sure you've had some adventures that you would want to share. It's funny, like I'm getting back into the corporate conference stuff. It's yeah. been a while. And I would say I've been in Atlanta, Orlando, Philadelphia, New York. I'm trying to think of all the markets even offhand. And now I'm in Scottsdale today, incidentally, at the Intellicon conference. And I got to say, you bump into the strangest people in lobbies and just in back green rooms. So like, 
I've shared the stage for three songs with Corey Taylor of Stone Sour. I've met Slash personally a couple times, including the Louder Than Life Festival in Louisville. And that was cool because I was just under a media tent getting a few interviews. And he's this black SU's just and I'm like, holy hell, it's Slash. Give me a break. Time out, time out life. Freeze yeah, freeze. Exactly. Oh, dude. And then Eddie Van Halen. I had the privilege of meeting him at the Smithsonian years ago in Washington, DC for a one-to-one. And you just get this opportunity to connect with them and really impart the gratitude. Yeah, It's not just that they're posters living on our walls when we're kids. It's what they do for our very soul and the way we approach our work. Yeah, A lot of people on their cell phones, they play music at work. I was certainly one of them. And my God, like how many hundreds of times have I heard songs from these artists going, if it weren't for that, all that collectively every day, I'd be going bonkers, literally. Yeah. I truly do. I think, and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is that whether you're a fan of Bruce or, or Pink or Merle Haggard or Beethoven, music is such an important part of so many people's lives and it helps motivates them. It helps them celebrate. It helps them mourn. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. All right. So quick hits, a couple of things that you as a coach to remind people you've already talked about using your creativity in ways that you taking that creative energy and using it in the day gig a couple other quick hits to maybe give the audience yeah to me the starting point and it took me many years to learn this and allow myself to have this license so i have to credit a company that i'm working with out of dallas texas they're called the purpose company okay and by the way it's a husband wife team they're awesome (laughs) <laughs> so Gabrielle and Brian Boucher, if you're listening, I love you guys. And I'm grateful to work with you. And thank you for giving me this first gift in working together, which is be yourself. Don't follow the pack. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't worry about coming into the office with your flip-flops, as long as it's not totally killing your HR policy. Don't let people box you into being a conformist into whatever that is. Just let it roll, man. Because if you don't take the risk, you're going to look back and be like, I played it safe. And Maybe you didn't have all the adventures you wanted actually to have. And I've had the privilege in the last four years of really opening up my life into meeting people like Slash and touring with Queensryche, meeting Jack White in New York, all these moments I could share with you guys. And at the end of the day, my life is more full as a result of it. And I feel like I'm more centered now than I've been in years to being a little more successful in the way I wanted to be successful, not the way an end of year report at a Fortune 100 would have expressed, which is, it's great to have the LinkedIn, don't get me wrong, to have that profile that shows 254 million of direct contributions, kind of cool. But by the same token, I never would have gotten there if I didn't allow myself to be authentic, leverage my creativity for my competitive advantage, truly, and then to ultimately let the chips fall where they may. There have been times even in my music career where we've been pretty short on diesel. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back from tour and going, how do we, we're just outside of like Pennsylvania. How do we get home? And then Metallica yes. literally pulls in to the diesel station where we're pulling in, literally. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So text 33777. Robbie is the word. That'll get you a chance to join the flock. We love that. Before I get to the Mary question, any other final thoughts or things you want to share? Yeah, I think I do. Sonic Octane filmed in partnership with Live Nation, a very exclusive video called The Reckoning. 
And I'll just say it's because we're dedicating it to look at the underlying causes of violence in America. What are the underpinnings of the riots? What are the underpinnings even of the gun violence in part? And we're not saying we have answers. We're artists, right? We're not legislators. We're not psychiatrists. We're none of that. But at the end of the day, we're a band on a mission. So if you want to check out Sonic Octane, our main Twitter is Sonic Band Fan. And that's 21,000 total in that tribe and growing. And then we've got a couple of Facebook pages if you want to check us out there too. Okay, great. I will get those in the show notes. Sounds good. I look forward to hearing some of the music. Robbie, this has been great. I really have enjoyed visiting with you. I love your passion. I love your energy. And I think, I know it sounds simple, but the idea of being yourself is really strong advice. So many of us think that we need to be somebody else to put on a mask. And there are certain things that there's only one of you. And that's what's important. And you should remember that. So well done, sir. So I end every podcast with the Barry question. Jay Armstrong was a honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He's now retired. But when he was teaching, he would take Bruce Springsteen's song, Thunder Road, would give the lyrics to his class. They would discuss the lyrics. They would talk about the themes, the words Bruce uses. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? Robbie Phoenix, that is your question. Does Mary oh get in the car at the oh. end of Thunder Road? Oh, this is so horrible because it's like flipping a coin, but it's not exactly 50-50. If you ask any statistician, it's never 50-50. I feel she was because me, I'm a true believer and I'm a life-living example by God's grace alone of love at first sight. So my wife really dug me before I even knew her. She was stalking me for a whole year, by the way. <laughs> that's a whole nother story and i'm so grateful for her being that crazy at that age that she was and for me when i first saw her i went to the supervisor that we we're closing a mom and pop clothing store i was working through college at this place and he's locking up the door on a sunday evening and i go ramish what do you think of this girl on the bench on the right like that and he looked around and this guy's in his 60s so he never wanted me to date anyone he just wanted to get through school he used to right. throw out phone numbers of girls that used to visit the store even i found out later he goes she's good i'm like game on man game on so i'm a believer in love at first sight i'm a romantic at heart god's truth extension of that like deeply so i would have to say of course she was in the car are you I kidding me how could I she not I love that answer. That is great. All right, Robbie, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, go text 33777 with the word Robbie. You will get a link to give your email address. You will provide you some data. Go out. I will include the link to where you can hear the music, his LinkedIn page, and let's go from there. Robbie, this was a blast. It was a joy talking to you. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, listeners. Let's be safe, be kind, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442.
I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Fed Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. think she was in did she get in the car did you think so the so my audience i say yes because i'm i grew up watching walt disney movies and i believe happily ever after about 60 percent of my guests say yes about 40 percent say no wow. they say that she is too afraid to make a decision wow she some people go he, that line is you ain't a beauty but hey you're all right she called him ugly <laughs> No way she's getting in that car. Uh, yes. But I, I love your answer. I love your answer about you and your lovely bride. That's a great. Yeah, I think it's good. It worked. Somehow it all worked. And like, I didn't know. Like I, at that age, I mean, I could have been a little more humble to say I didn't even have a degree when my wife chose to marry me. I didn't have anything to offer. I moved into her in-law's freaking house for about four months. Yeah, saving for a first apartment. I just looking back at all that, and I go, man, some higher power. I call it God, but whatever it is to everyone, it had my back, big time. I never would have had this career, I promise you, were it not for her and just chipping in a few dollars in my gas tank every week, literally. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so well done, very well. All right, my friend, you have a good night. I will talk to you soon. Bye. We will be well. Uh, very well. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.